Good morning. So one of the complications of this passage is that there are sacrifices and then there are sacrifices. This is what strikes me when I listen to Jesus's familiar words about taking up the cross. That, that is a sacrifice. And considering that in this passage, he is well on his way to Jerusalem, ruthlessly following that path of love that causes him to challenge authority and therefore keeps him in harm's way so that he can more fully demonstrate God's love for all people, we know that Jesus is persevering on this path of sacrifice. And so we assume that when he talks about taking up the cross, he is only talking about sacrifice on the part of those who identify as his disciples, whether it means selling their possessions or bearing the burdens of others, giving up prior status and relationships. We see that as a them thing. That was for Jesus and his disciples. And we've been so led by our culture to think of sacrifice as a bad thing that I think we miss some of the joy and the possibility and the openness in this passage. Sacrifice for us in our world is a little bit complex. We have been trained to admire those who make certain sacrifices, Olympic athletes, firefighters, those who serve in our military. We've been conditioned to expect sacrifice of our teachers, of our service workers, so that they can serve us without living the lives that they deserve. We've also been induced to think that there is no reason that we ourselves should have to sacrifice in an instant access, immediate gratification kind of world. We believe sacrifice is for them and not for us. But we all make sacrifices all of the time. Parents give their kids a good life. People seek to finish school or accomplish things in their careers. We make life choices about our freedoms to get married or to start families and what we might sacrifice on either side of those decisions. We sacrifice all kinds of fun purchases to save for a down payment on a home. And not only do we make those sacrifices, we do them with a sense of joy. It's easy for us to give up those simpler things to achieve this larger goal that fulfills a dream for us. So why does this duality exist? Because there are sacrifices, and then there are sacrifices. There are those that lead to a greater, more fulfilled life, and there are those that don't. Which, to be clear, doesn't mean that all of the life-giving sacrifices are fun or comfortable, but they lead to a greater sense of purpose, of life, and of joy. Whereas other sacrifices that we are forced to make can lead us to less life, to less joy, to less purpose. Jesus is not inviting us into meaningless sacrifice. He is not inviting us into sacrifice without purpose or without joy. He also is not inviting us into whiny Christianity 
that complains at every minor inconvenience, this is just my cross to bear. He is inviting us into a full-bodied faith that stands over and against all the things that are often presented to us as life by the culture. Jesus invites us to the kind of abundant life that is discovered only as you give yourself away. The kingdom of God that Jesus is proclaiming is about life and it is about love. And just as love is one thing that only grows when it's given away, so is genuine and abundant life. Now, there's also an important piece, I think, to know about what's happening in Luke and what's happening during this time. So that is, when you are born into a family, you are born with the honor that that family carries. Your position in society, your ability to live, to buy food, to have a dwelling place, really is founded on what family you're born into. Everything matters and, and rests on whose table are you invited to? Whose table do you share? And so if you invite someone into your table to share your home, to share a meal with you, you are inviting them into your family and you're offering them a bit of your honor. People can say, oh, you might not know who I am, but I dined with so-and-so and they have honor and therefore so do I. And so it is not a small sacrifice when Jesus says, give up the honor of your family. Give up the honor of the family you married into. Give up the honor of the tables that you have dined at because of something you did nothing to earn. Give up your role in a world that decides who has worth and who doesn't before the very first breath has been taken, give up that role because I promise the table you're going to be invited to will be better. But you can't hold on to that trapping of who you used to be. You can't claim your place in a society that holds others down and join me. You can't cling to your family name and offer the radical, all-inclusive love of God at the same time. And so when Jesus says that you should hate your family, Jesus is saying you should hate all that that status represents and what it has done to our world, and you should love me more. Love me more than the comfort and ease Love me more than your ability to hold others in oppression. This is hard for us who see those same dynamics in our own society, but we're also trying to honor commitments that we have made to spouses and children and parents and the banks that hold our mortgages and our debts. We don't feel like we're in any position to literally follow the itinerant Jesus who, as far as we know, didn't have property. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a wife or children or a real job that expected him to show up at 9 a.m. And we live in a culture and a climate where we are bombarded with goods and promises for wonderful benefits. 
with no mention or expectation of paying a cost for them. We spend and we live as though there is no cost. There is no downside and there are no long-term consequences. So at a very minimum, this passage should draw us up a little bit short. It should ask us to reflect how much the choices we've already made are costing us. How much are they costing our society? What are they doing to our siblings that live among us? What are they doing to the planet that God created for us? We need to consider whether the cost of following Jesus might in fact be a better investment. The examples Jesus gives invite us to a sober and practical assessment of how we should move forward in the world. Sacrifices like this are not meant to be easy. People around us may very well not understand why we spend less on ourselves in order to give more to others, why we would invest our time and resources on a person or an effort that others just consider a lost cause. They made their bad choices. They're not willing to work hard enough to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, are they? The choices that we make, the relationships that we decide to pursue, the way we spend this life we've been given may cause not just confusion, but anger among those we care about. But the question before us is, do we follow Christ or do we not? Am I really willing to reassess and change my commitments and priorities so that my commitment to following the way of Jesus is actually reflected in my relationships, in my job, in the way I spend, and in the way that I socialize? If you feel like this is a big question, you're not alone. For most who are with Jesus that day, the answer was no, absolutely not. There is a reason why Jesus starts with big crowds and continuously ends with the 12. <laughs> People want to follow him when he's saying all the really nice things. But when Jesus says, and you're part of the problem, so how are you going to fix it? Suddenly everybody is like, I don't know. I just wandered in here. I, I don't know. I thought it was breakfast club. I don't and what would our churches be like if everybody sat down and made a sober reassessment of what it takes and what they're willing to give in order to follow the way of Jesus? What needs to be sacrificed? What needs to be let go of? And the challenge, of course, is that such a choice is not always as clear as we'd like, despite the people who will constantly say the Bible clearly says, the Bible clearly says nothing we are often confused about what is the right choice in a life-giving choice. Sometimes we may think we hear Jesus' voice calling us to sacrifice, but it gets drowned out by the cultural voices holding out success and accumulation and security. And sometimes the choices in front of us are just ambiguous. And so this this is why we have 
the relentless love of Jesus to guide us. Because it assures us of God's love and forgiveness so that when we are confused and overwhelmed and unclear, or when we choose badly and we know we're choosing badly, but it's so much more fun, the promise of life is still in front of us. The promise of God's unconditional love frees us to choose joy, the gospel joy, and to continue creating God's good kingdom among us. And I think we're a little concerned about asking people to sacrifice too much. We don't want to ask them to sacrifice their time to come to church and sacrifice their money and sacrifice some of what they have so that others might have enough. We look for ways to make it just easy on everyone. What's the gentlest way we can invite them in and ask nothing in return? But I think we have to be brave in calling for sacrifice. We have to know that if people aren't hearing it and aren't feeling it as being life-giving, maybe we're not calling for the right sacrifice. But that we need to show over and over again that the sacrifice of giving ourselves to others allows us to see that abundant life grow. Because as we know, in all that we do and in all of the choices that we make as we seek to grow, as we seek to impact the world more fully, and as we seek to follow Christ, there are sacrifices. And then there are sacrifices. My prayer for you all is that you will find those sacrifices that lead to joy. You will find the things that call you more fully into community. You will walk away from the tables that exclude and judge. You will walk away from the status that was ascribed to you. You'll be willing to let it all go. And remember that the sacrifice that leads to joy is a sacrifice we can freely give over and over. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>